The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Ah, that was a paradigm pour this morning. Welcome. Yeah, <laughs> well, Ren's like, who are these guys? <laughs> you know, hey, we've got the usual suspects here, uh, you know, Bart, Brian, and Sam and I, and our special guest this morning, Ren Harris from Paradigm Winery over in Napa, California. What a pleasure to have you on the show. Wow. Thank Thanks for coming over on this rainy morning. Really. I'm, I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of place I feel comfortable in. Well, and you should. You know, and we are not wine spectator here. I can guarantee that. <laughs> no, Our brand is to have a lot of fun and just talk to you about 60 harvests in Napa. Well, I have to wow. get by the 60th, which is this year. So okay. it's only, only 15. O- only 15. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, well, the vines have to start growing first in this uh, 2023 vintage before we can. Yeah, it's going to be a late one. Uh, uh the buds aren't even swelling yet, and they no. should be about now. Right? Well, and we had we'd spoken to uh, Brene, right? Well, and she was talking about there were some kind of bud break going on a month or more ago. Yeah, well, you know, a that was young. She's got some weird, some young Grenache up there, and I think it's there. just there's like that that shelf that bench that Monterosso's on uh, captures afternoon sun and there's some microclimate things going on she is always um you know got bud break happening ahead of everybody else yeah i mean it wasn't like a, a block had started to yeah it was break. some it was, it like was a, some vines that have a little you know well, grenache would come out. yeah young, especially young grenache would yeah, be would yeah. be pushing but you know we haven't seen it yet starting and i don't i mean it's been it's it snowed three days ago I, i'm telling you the, those vineyards that are sitting in the snow like this it's going to be a really interesting thing to see how yeah. they react to it and totally. when they open up and and yeah. you know because as you we talked the other day sam sap was definitely flowing up oh boy. and so now what's it doing it's like you know, I don't know. what the hell's going well, on here we have a dozen apple trees and they're in full bloom right flowers and the whole thing right. and now they're gonna get rained on for two weeks yeah, yeah that's the as far as ag goes the all the like almond trees in the central valley are blooming and you know all the stone fruit and stuff like that it's gonna be a rough it's gonna be a rough harvest for those guys i mean we have someone sitting with us that knows something about growing prunes prunes (laughs) and probably some other things i mean what are your thoughts and and why aren't there why wait a minute why were there so many prunes at the time where were who was buying them uh they were uh my our warehouse is a former prune dehydrator and my first purchase my wife and my first purchase in 67 was a 30 acre prune orchard and in 67 there were approximately 12,000 acres of prunes and 12,000 acres of grapes in Napa Valley and prunes are long gone but they were they were mostly dried in uh, their plums dried into uh, prunes they weren't uh, we could eat them as right. fresh fruit but there was nowhere to, to sell them but even your wife was wasn't her family in that business too for a while. They they used I think she talked about um one time I saw her she was talking about as a kid her um 
picking. And what's the yeah. difference? Prunes and plums. We've had this conversation. Same thing, Same oh. thing except <laughs> except if you're growing plums for fresh fruit, they're they're a different breed, okay. as I recall. And I and I never personally picked a prune. We bought the prune orchard, and, and thanks to a gentleman by the name of Andy Delmondi of the family ranch foreman uh, took me under his wing, and uh, we quickly <laughs> dispatched the prunes and uh, yeah. got into grapes. Yeah. But the family uh, is, is a farming family, my wife's family. This is 125 years in farming in Napa Valley for her family. And they've had dairy, uh, cattle, vegetables during World War II, prunes, grapes started in 1960. My father-in-law was never going to grow grapes, my gosh, as long as he lived because he had to you know, work in the vineyard when he was a kid. And um, in Calistoga up in uh, around 1910 in that part of the century, but uh, he got over it. You know, it's, it's all it's all grapes now. That's know. good. Very good. Worked and, out pretty well. And here I thought prunes were dried plums. They are. They Until, are. Okay. Yeah, uh, prunes, and I, I think the prune plum is like the European variety of plums, okay. and then the ones that are like the the Asian plums. Were more for fresh fruit and then luther burbank made the santa rosa plum that is a cross of the two that's like the big you know red fleshy plum that is now basically the plum that you eat that's from you buy the store we had this whole conversation when we were at Knoll winery because right. doug's uh, parents and they even argued back and forth about prunes and plums yeah i mean that that used to be the prune belt over there in Dry well that's Creek. what we in sonoma and Napa. i mean yeah. angelo just, san giacomo yeah right was, the san giacomo and apples just, right yeah you know they and and, and and pears you know and they have pear black apple block and then right. people would always yeah. say well is that because that's the, what the wine tastes like it was like no that's what they pulled <laughs> out pulled out to plant the grapes yeah. Yeah. well i was doing custom farming in Napa. i pulled out a couple hundred acres of pears for no i didn't own it i was right. for, doing it for somebody else right but uh yeah, they were up there too. So, how did you get to farming? Um, you know, I, I know that you grew up, grew up in San Francisco, SF Correct. native. Yeah. Um, you know, less and less of those all the time. Did we ask? Did I? When, what high school did you go to in San Francisco? San Ignatius. I went to SI. Oh, an SI guy. Class of '59. Did you know Mike Lee from Kenwood? Mike Lee. Mike Lee. I maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mike was the winemaker and one of the owners of Kenwood Winery. Yeah. They started in 1970 up here. Yeah. Um, and um, he was, as he would say, an SI. Yeah. An SI cherry is yeah. what his friends would call him. But Well, that was the the jealous guys that went to the other school. That went to Sacred, <laughs> that went to Sacred Heart like right. my dad. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're right. Because <laughs> Mike had a name for them also. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was uh, an all-boys school in those days. and We still... Um, meet we'll be meeting on the 27th of april for a lunch at uh, original joe's wow. one of our classmates uh john dugan his family owns uh original joe's and joe's of westlake too. right well and and we used to buy grapes from the people who own joe's of westlake when i worked at kenwood yeah. um, and it was an si connection yeah you know? yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's awesome yeah. <laughs> So in classic winemakers podcast style, Ren, we've started totally in the middle of the conversation. Um, can give us the like quick overview of your uh, of the, let's uh, let's just or not quick not quick. Let's <laughs> let's talk about the history paradigm, and then go into all the 
countless other things <laughs> that you've accomplished and been involved in in the last 59 harvests working on number 60 um but let's 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 start with paradigm and then kind of work from there well a paradigm uh has been uh, a brand since 1991 prior to that we other than home wine uh, we actually sold all our fruit to other wineries um, a variety of wineries around Napa Valley. And I was also a, a member of the Napa Valley Co-op and a, one of their directors. In okay. fact. Yeah. But uh, when I came up in 67, we jumped right into uh, turning prunes to grapes. Uh, I learned uh, the, uh, from a, a, a real wonderful mentor, Andy Del Bondio, as I mentioned his name. Uh, and I also picked up... Uh, the field version of Spanish, which we won't repeat here. Uh, and uh, uh, I went back to school, learned a few things, uh, did some at the community college, some at Davis. Uh, and as recently as 2019, I took a soils course at the University of Bordeaux. Wow. I, I, I just, I can't ever stop. I can't help myself. Uh, and, I mean, that's uh, the wine business, right? Yeah, totally. So well, it's, you... it's the way I am, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ren, and you found a good place to be. Yeah, yeah. When were you in Bordeaux? Uh, in um, 19, um, in uh, late spring of 19, uh, Oakville, uh, which is where uh, Paradigm is, is a sub-appellation, but an extremely active one. Uh, this year, they're going to uh, Spain, Rioja, and they'll have a technical tour of Spain. This was a technical soils course at University of Bordeaux. They did one in Chile, which they did not go to. And uh, it's, um, and those folks come over here uh, uh, and visit us. And I've made contacts all over the world. It's a community, as you know, it's a world. Oh, it's, absolutely. It's worldwide. And it's, it's, it's like a giant family. And I suspect they cut each other's throat out in the marketplace, but we really are friends with each other. We marry each other. Uh, I don't. I don't believe in trade secrets. I, I don't think I, it doesn't do me any good that somebody has a bad glass of wine because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I'm a little. Uh, I'm not happy with the prices that some of wineries have gone to. And that I think Napa is more guilty of that, uh, certainly in Sonoma County. But my, well, you, you offer an incredible um, value with the wines. Oh, you, absolutely. Like, well, I you know I know that, and uh, I have with the support of a wonderful uh, workforce. Uh, we're growing some very good grapes and making some good wine, and. Yeah, I could charge a lot more. My neighbors are Opus One, Martha's, Bond, Contessa, and Dominus. <laughs> Neighbor pricing. Yeah, and I don't believe uh, you should charge more because you can. That, that, if you, you charge more because you can, you're an oil company or or a pharmaceutical <laughs> company or something. That's a good point of view. Uh, what did you think of the way they farm in uh, Bordeaux? Uh, well, um they, we got uh, personal tours, which they don't. There's not like here. You don't go on personal tours unless you're part of a deal like I was on. But um, uh, I got into soils was primarily the focus and replanting. 
and uh, we adopted something immediately uh, uh, on the following year on our replants where we have a missing vine. Plant a, a stronger rootstock if you put a vine between a lot of other vines than the vines that are around it, if, you, if, if you, there is one, because they'll make it through the root zones uh, where maybe a, a replant will suffer uh, uh, stunted growth for its, you know, rest of its life and so, we started playing with that sort of popping st george in the ground or, or then, some high vigor point. some high vigor rootstocks yeah. to yeah. help that new vine compete with the old the established vines yeah. makes and, a lot of sense and uh we were already practicing uh uh on cabernet franc uh making sure we didn't come up with uh bell peppers uh and, and taste and smell and uh we're, we're pretty good at that at paradigm but uh, they got it. They do the same things we did, which was kind of gratifying. But uh, you really don't let any second crops survive. Get them out of there when they appear, and don't ever try to grow more than two clusters on one shoot because they'll shade each other out. Uh, keep a canopy of leaves over it, uh, and don't get uh, a lot of direct sunlight. And yeah, you'll get two and a half to three tons per acre. If you get more than that, you probably did something wrong, at least in our experience, which makes it a, a miserable grape to grow in some respects. But <laughs> but when they showed the pictures over there, they came up with a picture of a Cabernet Franc vine and a bell pepper on the same screen. And uh, and then they went into what they do about it, which was, it was kind of a kick. It's one of the coolest places in the world just to drive around because there are so many cool AVAs that I've been drinking for years and you can just drive into them and every wine is better than the next is what i found uh, well i you know, more you drink uh, <laughs> keep getting better. Uh, i think the the two most important attributes to a great class of wine is who you're with and where you're at mm. some of the best wine i ever had growing up in san francisco my friends in north beach their Italian parents and grandparents made Zinfandel in what they used to call Petacera in the basements. And it was phenomenal. And so was the food and Grandpa on the accordion. Uh, and and like I said, and, and down there, there's a whole lot of uh, mixed marriages, as we say, uh, Italians and Irishmen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and what I always love about those basements is those basements all have full kitchens. Yeah, right. Yeah, kitchen yeah. upstairs, kitchen downstairs. Right, that was my grandparents' right. and, house. And you would never entertain people upstairs. You would only do it down in the basement. Well, my grandmother cooked upstairs, you know, canned vegetables and whatnot. And my grandfather cooked on, you know, the weekends right. downstairs with fresh vegetables. Right. And, yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Sam, it sounds like you've got a cold coming on. The back no, it's from toddler. Yeah, it's from preschool. I go to preschool. I basically go to preschool, John. You you did get stuck going to Tahoe, right? Turn we, around. We got stuck. I, I tried to get out ahead of the storm uh over last weekend. And we so we left on Saturday morning um before it was really snowing and the storm hit while we were on I-80 going on the back, you know, coming down the pass and they shut us down. And, you know, me and Althea and uh, a, f a fully charged iPad and a full tank of gas sat there on the highway for about three hours before they let us out. So it ended up being, you know, I had planned on like five hours through the snow over the pass. It ended up being about eight hours. But, uh, you know, we got out when we right when we could. It would, you know, if we hadn't, we'd be leaving you know we got out would have gotten out yesterday so and now they're talking about um 
possibly seven to ten more feet of snow on the at the upper elevations up there above eight thousand feet. You know, there's already six hundred inches, which is fifty feet of snow. Anyway. Wow. Did you get any snow over in Napa? Uh, yes, uh, not down on the floor. I mean, it came down and then it disappeared instantly. Uh, I, I, the name of the winery, I, I forget, but up in Diamond Mountain, there's a winery up there. It had a large uh, glass atrium over their tasting area, had two feet of snow on it, and the weight collapsed it, crashed down inside the wine. Nobody was there at the time, fortunately. And then water got in and ruined a lot of hardwood floors and was a real mess up there. They don't build those things planning on two feet of snow on top of them. They're not. They're not. not meant, they, they they didn't plan on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and there was something today on the news talking about um, the difference in the weight of light snow versus right. heavy snow and all that. Just like the engineering that goes behind it, like uh, and especially down here, like you don't design things for snow down. Right. Here. With, there's like a weight per square foot right. that things are designed for, and yeah, and everything's going to get tested. Yeah, <laughs> Everything's getting yeah, tested this winter. Yeah. All of your erosion control, all uh, yeah, everything. Well, we're we're about to be tested, I think, for the rest of the rest of our duration in the business uh, with weather. Right. Uh, I can I can remember when I in '68 I first started hearing they didn't call it global warming, but they said nighttime temperatures aren't as cold as they used to be, and then the 1970 frost came along and made. That all totally untrue. We lit pots for 23 nights in a row. But uh, and another uh, thing that we ran into in, uh, this last year, we had 119 degrees one day at Paradigm. And we had a week where it was on the high side of 112. And a thing, again, we actually learned it over in, uh, in France. Uh, on super hot days, they uh, put a fog out, a mist, uh, to cool the vines down, and we did it. We had a spray rig with foggers on it, just water in the tank, and took us about 10 hours. We did every row up and down. Uh, it took us 10 hours to go through 55 acres, and we turned around and just did it again. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we saved our, uh, our, our leaf uh, structure. Vines weren't ready to pick, and if we picked, we would have had a mess. Bell peppers. Yeah, or, or at least raisins. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. But uh, it uh, we had we had a not a certainly a, a large crop, but a very good crop. The berries were about thirty five percent undersized. But, uh, but it's it's really amazing, like that mist. And I know Sam, your dad's been putting in some of these yeah, things. Have cool like they systems. really do make a difference and for all the people out there listening to think but you guys say you don't want rain you know there's no this isn't like rain there's no water accumulating in between the berries it's basically dry by the time it hits right. a surface yeah. it's just lowering the air temperature yeah. just that small well, rain rain or sprinklers won't work because the drops become magnifying glasses right. and they they'll burn holes in right. the leaves right. can't you it won't work right yeah. that's definitely it's got to be that mist it's that it's, mist. it's evaporative cooling right yeah, yeah that, exactly that concept exactly. and yeah. and um it also creates airflow because with these days where you know it's 112 degrees there's no wind there's no air movement that cools things down also so with those what we're do experimenting with on these you know vineyards that we have the the mister systems is timing the different blocks or different sections of it so one goes on for five minutes and then it changes yeah. to another one and you're getting these you know creating 
cooling breezes also with it so it's you know and it also for all you know we're not worried about water this year doing that doing it the way that you were doing it the way that that we're doing it um doesn't use a ton of water um it just kind of helps helps save the crop we're gonna start doing i believe when when we get in the high side of 100 i'm not gonna wait for 112 or lord knows 19 hey ren since you started kind of down the um subject of global warming or climate change um, you know, at that point it was, it was, everyone would say, oh, it's, it's global warming. And then we'd have a w- extreme winter and they'd go, oh, well, it's obviously not global warming, but climate change is real and stuff. Yeah. Um, what have been some of the things that you've had to adjust? And, and, and I even mean some of the things that you learned in the eighties that you changed not so much now currently. Uh, well, uh, the, uh, vineyard that where paradigm is now, uh, was originally in Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Chenin Blanc, and White Riesling. I wouldn't attempt uh, Pinot Noir or Chardonnay there today. I wouldn't attempt the other two, but not for the same reason. Right. But uh, also, we we came in immediately. We we uh, as we started to replant, which we did over about a seven year ago, uh, we changed the direction of the roads. Hmm. They're uh, they're now running more east and west. They used to be north and south. Hmm. We've uh, changed the spacing. Mm-hmm. We're now five by twelve. Uh, we were so the a tighter spacing now or a, a little wider, a little wider spacing yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, well, I shouldn't say that. No, we started six by twelve. Now we're down to five by twelve, so okay. it's become a little tighter. But we were at ten by six, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, we also have uh, changed varieties to mostly Cabernet or Bordeaux reds. And when did that happen? Uh, that happened uh, as soon as he couldn't sell the Chenin Blanc. Well, <laughs> well, we used to grow by tons, um, and we used to grow by what became ripe sequentially. Uh, uh, so the Cabernet would be the last thing you want to pick. You didn't want any of that because you might get hit with rain or what have you. So, and on, on the other hand, you got maybe uh, seven, eight hundred bucks a ton for Cabernet. You got Chenin Blanc at uh, five or six hundred, but you got maybe ten or twelve tons per acre. Right. And if you got Semi on or French Columbia out there, you'd even get more. Uh, all those big ver- those big berry big yielding varieties oh boy yeah, yeah. semi on you your your gondolas which we don't use anymore <laughs> used to be sloshing juice by the time we got to a winery i mean they crushed themselves but, uh, we also re-raised our fruiting wire we were uh, when we first started uh, replanting even in the, in the new direction our fruiting wire is at 32 inches it's now at 48 mm-hmm. uh, keeping more of the ground effect away right. uh those warm nights and yeah yeah that's definitely and i don't know where this goes it's it's i think it's snowballing i think it's changing faster than than uh, it has over my 60 so years there yeah yeah sure yeah maybe we'll be growing bananas one day i don't know (laughs) no i mean i think that uh we say this all the time but if there's any climate change deniers that are still listening to this show i don't know what you're doing you probably stopped listening or we've converted you but you know, if you want to know if climate change is real, ask a farmer, and uh-huh. especially a farmer who's been doing it for sixty years. Uh, ask ask a farmer who's a ultra right wing whatever. They still have to cop the climate change. <laughs> yeah, totally. 100%. 100%. It bothers them, but they do. You know? yeah. <laughs> 
you know any of those people? A couple, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at some point, right in the seventies, you you noticed that that Sonoma was selling their grapes for more money than Napa, yet Napa was charging higher prices for their wines. Yeah. Well, that, uh, yeah. Which to us really sounds weird. Right. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, we had a, a, a collection of uh, uh, good old Italian boys uh, up there who had de deals on handshakes. Right. And uh, they didn't look at anybody else. Um, and uh, we passed uh, an ag preserve in Napa 1968, I think first one in the United States. Yeah, that's definitely something we want to talk about more. Uh, well, that 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 was that was the start of varietal change. When, as I look back at the time, you didn't think so, uh, but uh, all of a sudden, if you wanted to split your land, you better have eighty acres because you couldn't create a parcel smaller than forty, and even then, you had to stay in agriculture. Uh, and or something that supported agriculture, like a winery, uh, and uh, uh, so then we, my father-in-law Andy Palissa, quite a quite a gentleman, uh, was a very conservative individual, uh, and he was in the planning commission and voted for the ag preserve, and all of a sudden all his lifelong friends or a lot of them figured he he's become a socialist <laughs> on us because he's telling us what we can do with our land. He just wanted to stay in agriculture. Yeah. But by staying in agriculture, we saved it because we weren't going to get property tax out of business. And so, oh, gosh, maybe we should plan for the long term. And uh, uh, we had a key little incident happened when the Ag Preserve was up for discussion at all the committee meetings and whatnot. Gene Trefethen, my friend John Trefethen's father, uh, had been taxed out of existence for farming in uh, around uh, Walnut Creek, and he came up and he made a, a, a full price all cash offer on five or so hundred acres uh, in the southern near the southern or northern of Napa City in Napa, uh, and his offer was contingent on upon the Ag Preserve passing, and the uh, gentleman who was the trustee for the estate had it for sale was at every meeting for the hearings for the preserve vehemently against it. All of a sudden he showed up and he's hundred percent for it because the offer came in. Yeah. Uh, and that, uh, you know, looking back, Jack Davies from Schronsburg was a huge supporter and an eloquent man. Yeah. Uh, I, I put a contract together with him in 1969. I believe his first bottle price formula contract that I was aware of. Wow. I'm sure there were others, but, can, uh, and can, can you explain that a little bit? Well, your price of your grapes is based on the retail price of a bottle of, in that case, they used to call it champagne. It's now sparkling wine. Right. But, uh, and uh, uh, my f this is for the family. Uh, my father-in-law asked me to put it together, and he said he, he would do it. My father-in-law said he'd do it, and Jack right. Davies said he would. And uh, so I forget, there was a hundred times, I think a hundred or a hundred, 10 or sometimes the price of a bottle of the end product. Uh, and that was your price. Right. Uh, and that contract we put together in 69, it's still in effect. And it's the, we're the only people I know of still growing Flora Terminer because that's what it was based on. Wow. And Flora Terminer is the great grape to 
I guess, make sparkling dessert wine from. Mm. It's also one of the best eating grapes there is, but not maybe a terribly good normal wine grape. I don't do you you don't happen to remember what the bottle price and per ton price was in that nineteen sixty nine contract? Uh, we were in the hundreds per uh, per ton. Per ton, yeah. So it's a. It, I'm sing, guessing like a nine ten dollar bottle, something like that. Uh, yeah, right. probably yeah, yeah, around there, yeah, yeah. Because now you know the the Beckstoffer bottle price, <laughs> great price thing. You know, you yeah. got fifty thousand yeah. dollar tons coming out of those. With that, yeah. with that formula, yeah. right? Well, and yeah, man, yeah. I wish this was a video <laughs> podcast because the facial expression and head tilt that you just made, Ren, said thousands of words. Yeah. <laughs> now, Andy's Andy's a, a good friend, yeah, and he's accomplished a lot. The Lord knows he's as smart as anybody I've ever met, and uh, sure, I work with him a lot early on in. Uh, he uh, first met Andy when the Ag Preserve was up for grabs. He was an employee of Hubline. And Hubline was dead set against it because they were going to be told what they could do with their land. Of course they were. And uh, Hubline decided to pull out. Andy stayed behind, and they made a deal with Andy to take over their land. And, wow. uh, and he's still there. Wow. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it came down to uh, uh, how do we get a permanent workforce that uh, we have uh, – uh, we'll stay here instead of a transient workforce. Right. And uh, having come from the uh, labor union bastion of San Francisco, I was familiar with what labor unions offer to employees. So I, uh, at the time, I was uh, very active in Napa County Farm Bureau and California Farm Bureau owned an insurance company. And I sat down with my father-in-law and Andy Del Bondio and I said, what about uh, getting a health insurance plan for farm workers and maybe their families? Maybe we'll get a bigger full-time crew. We had a few full-time guys. And these are conservative individuals. They said, yeah. Huh. Now, I went to Farm Bureau and Fred Herringer was the state president. Very, and that's a great thing about Farm Bureau is you want an appointment in Napa County. And if you're a Napa grower, you'll get it. If you want one in Sacramento, you better call the State Farm Bureau. If you want one in Washington, D.C., call the American Farm Bureau. But they help each other out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Fred Herringer put a contract together. We were able to sell it in 1972, established the California Wine Grower Foundation. It's still business. Uh, Marianne is with me here today, and everybody works for Paradigm, and a whole lot of other people in the Valley uh, are covered by that same insurance policy. It was good enough where... Back when I was <clears throat> uh, insurable, uh, and other than Medicare, uh, uh, my family was in it because it's a good plan. Yeah, yeah, and it worked for farm workers because it was portable. They could go from one farmer to another as long as he was a member of the uh, coalition. He kept the insurance. Uh, all of a sudden, we had a pretty good permanent workforce. That means you got more efficient workers. You're not searching for new guys that maybe just came from lettuce or Lord knows artichokes. Uh, and that was kind of step one into getting maybe a better quality grape. Uh, uh, with the Ag Preserve, we had to get more money. And um, what what years was this? That that was 72 that, that, that the, the insurance plan was put into effect. We made, <laughs> it 
it was funny. Um, uh, we had initially, I think it was 1,440 farm workers for the, the sign-up day was this. That's how many we enrolled. Uh, I don't forget how, from how many farms, but several. And uh, my sister-in-law was there, um, who is my wife's older sister. I married the sweet sister. Um, <laughs> and she told me that when I was engaged, and, and I haven't let her forget. But anyway. Uh, Just in case she's listening. Yeah. And we, uh, <laughs> we're, I mean, she, and her name is Dawn, and uh, she all of a sudden has made a great astrological discovery, she figures, and she's really into astrology and all this. She says, do you realize that every zodiac sign, there should be something around 12% um, of any given sign, just because that's how many signs there are, and it, and she says, there's only 4% Sagittarians here. <laughs> and she said, oh, I, I, we, we got to look into this. And Maria, <laughs> sitting next to me, starts starts to giggle. And I said, okay, Maria, what's so funny? She says, Mexican women, they, they give up sex for Lent. <laughs> <laughs> so do the math. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, oh, God. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I don't know if that's still true or not, but <laughs> it's uh, it's it's now legend. Now yeah. legend. <laughs> but anyway, that but to go on with the with the story, the the uh, higher price scenario, the next step um, after getting a full time workforce there, and and wanting to get higher prices, um, I on behalf of the grape growers of the valley, and by that time I guess I was president of the farm bureau. Anyway, I and Chuck Carpy uh, testified before a federal uh, interest and created uh, AVAs. And and uh, and initially, you uh, you had California was, and then we uh, uh, wanted Napa Valley and came down from that. Uh, so now, if you wanted to call it Napa Valley, you probably needed to put, uh, uh, but it didn't have a you didn't have a, a tight thing on it. You could always call it California. And uh, the next step after establishing the AVAs was, um, and again, I was involved with Andy. We, uh, uh, we we helped get the AVA through the auspices of American Farm Bureau. Right. Sat down with the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. And, thanks to the executive VP of American Farm Bureau. The next step was to uh, get a marketing order uh, in California and get a, uh, uh, a crop report. Okay. There didn't used to be a crop report right. for grapes. Right. Uh, and, uh, right. And for those of you out there, um, uh, every winery and grower has to report the either the winery, the grapes that you purchased or the growers, what you delivered and um, the price. And then there's uh, the bricks price, bricks, varietal, varietal. Yeah. Right. And then and and, 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 then, and where it's grown, the right, ABA, right? And, the yeah. and then um, you can go through and see the average price. Mm. And then that helps establish um, the prices for the next year's contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we Andy and I went up. We uh, uh, got the marketing order through uh, in the crop report. Yeah, and uh, 
real key, and this is where the pricing went bingo, uh, we wanted to make sure Napa Valley was its own district. Right, right. Uh, at the time, Sonoma, Napa, and Mendocino, they're going to call it North Coast, and the Mendocino growers are all in favor of this. Right, of course. Well, Sonoma, are. Napa, not quite so much. Well, anyway, we got Napa District 4, Sonoma District 5. Other parts of the state are big. Within one year, we had the highest price grapes in the, in the Western Hemisphere in Napa County. Wow. Because those wineries were there. Uh, they were already charging more anyway. And all of a sudden now, if you really want to buy them, uh, this is the new name of the game. Yeah. And that holds true today. Right. Yeah. And and that, you know, that held the the bottom feeders more accountable, right? Like it kind of, there, there were less people hanging around at the end just going, oh, you, have, you don't have a contract for your grapes? I'll take them for this. Yeah. Right? I mean. There, and. There was a whole lot. Oh, boy. I don't want to go into this. Right. This might be listened to. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, for all the guff that uh, Julio Gal used to take, he was a good man to do business with. Yeah. And he was an honest man. Yeah. And uh, in uh, 1970, uh, I'd been up. 23 nights in a row in April, lighting pots, in starting April. one machines. Uh, and yeah. on the last night, it, they were around the valley, was the worst night. I think it was the night of April 30th, May 1st. We got down to, uh, in some parts of Napa, down in the low 20s. And uh, I was home, uh, well, not my home, I was over at my father-in-law's house at the time. I was mostly working for the family because couldn't afford to live off what I was making in grapes. But anyway, uh, we we've been lit, had all our pots lit and we were coming and getting a cup of coffee and a bite to eat before the sun came up and we were going to shut them down. And I'm sitting there uh, uh, by the phone and uh, drinking some coffee. I'd been up for every night in a row forever, it seemed. And the phone rings. It's Julio Gallo. And it's like 6.30 in the morning. Uh, and he says, Ren, uh, yeah. He says, how is it out there? And I said, Julie, I don't know if we saved them or not. Uh, he, he says, don't worry, Ren. I said, I'll take care of the growers this year. Don't worry about it. I appreciate that, Julio. And I hung up the phone. And then uh, I'll, I'll leave the specific names out. But in the next couple hours, I'd say at least five, you know, at least five, maybe more, of the larger winery owners and uh, uh, people that own local wineries came by uh, to see how it was going because the family ranch has about five, 600 acres of vineyard on it. And they thought we would know. And we said, we don't do we? Uh, you don't know. I don't know. He says, oh, you growers, you're just fan on the price of grapes and they all that. Well, in the meantime, uh, Gallo found uh, the major uh, buyer of bulk wine ordered all kinds of bulk wine from Napa Valley that was on the box. A few hours later, those same guys that came to visit us phoned them up and said, take it off the market. And they said, I'm sorry, it's too late. Gallo bought it. <laughs> it never left a winery. He sold it back to him. Wow. <laughs> okay. But that's because he trusted up, you know, my, my, my father-in-law mainly because I, I was riding on his coattails, Lord knows. Uh, but, uh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So your father-in-law... 
it was the Napa Valley Wine Company. No. When did, when did so? No. What's the connection there? Uh, it's it's a it's a solid connection. Uh, Napa Wine Company, uh, which for the record is like Bonded Winery Number Seven in California. Nine. Nine. Okay. Yeah. Close. Pretty yeah. pretty good. Yeah. And it was single digits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. And uh, no, we um, uh, that was bought after my father-in-law passed away. Actually, okay. my father-in-law passed away. Uh, I think it was October, right around the 1st of October. I forget the exact date, I guess. Anyway, in 91, he was over Paradigm, was our first crush, and he was dumping wooden boxes of Cabernet into a, a, a little crusher, and he died in his sleep that night. Wow. Yeah. Never was sick. Huh. What way to go. But anyway, uh, we picked up on the Napa Wine Company. I think it was more like about 93 and um, uh, my nephew, Andy Hoxie, who runs the family, uh, you know, my, you know, my nephew. Okay. And and now his daughters are uh, kind of stepping in, thank God, because he spends a whole lot of time hunting. But uh, one of my do you, have you met Mark Birmingham? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I worked at Benzinger with Mark and uh, Mark was my boss. So uh, that was a that was a good score for. Napa Wine Company. Yeah. Uh, him. Yeah. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we uh, it, it was up for sale. It was an allied uh, co-op, I guess was the last thing. Right. And it was up for sale because co-ops were becoming history. And uh, we uh, got uh, together uh, with the family. I paradigm didn't join per se. We kept that just my wife and I. But by that time, we were part of the family ownership and still are and we agreed to buy Napa Wine Company and use it as a custom crush facility and also as a crush facility for our own grapes even though we are still selling a few grapes and still do sell a few grapes direct uh, deliver there but uh, uh, today uh, my wife and I and our uh, daughter and grandkids are uh, uh, own half of the joint along with half the family place and I'm um, active in it from a point of view of uh going to annual meetings and uh and and being supportive generally but i uh, i uh, at age uh, 81 decided um, i maybe uh, <clears throat> uh paradigm is fun and maybe this on a daily basis wouldn't be and thank god is uh to uh andy's two daughters uh, uh my uh, grand nieces i'm a grandpa now actually i'm a great no great I'm a grand uncle and a great grand uncle, thanks to those girls, uh, Morgan and Kendall. But they're very, very capable, uh, and uh, it's 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 doing the job. So can I? I want to toot the horn of Napa Wine Company a little bit, and please chime in here. Napa Wine Company is where the the cult wine cult wine started in Napa Valley, right? Like when you guys, the Napa Wine Company was the host for a whole bunch of those wineries that now have become the cult wineries. Or some of them have. Yeah. And some of them I mean, the, didn't do so well, but yeah. Well, okay, but yeah. but I mean, it yeah. was kind of, it was kind of the melding pot of that. It, I mean, there yeah. was a lot of energy going towards that yeah. in the in the late 90s and the 2000s. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, there, there certainly uh, was a, a part of the uptick. I think it was already starting to happen and, right. and continues. Right. Uh, 
when I, I went to my first vintners meeting with my father-in-law when I was disengaged to Maryland, not married yet in 64. I went to, he was a member of the uh, Napa Valley Grape Growers because he was uh, uh, president of the St. Helena Co-op. And at the time there were 11 winery members of the vintners and three co-op members. That was it. Yeah. Now we know co-ops and maybe 600 winers. I have no idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and in my notes that uh, Marianne sent me, you were one of the founders of the Napa Valley Grape Growers? That's a fair statement. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, so yeah. I was going to say, I, I think I've heard this story before, and it was like, any, any, it oh, started in his house. Well, I was president of Napa County Farm Bureau, and uh, with, this is when we were wanting, a, you know, we, we wanted to do things like a marketing order and a grape crush report. And Napa County it was still, Farm Bureau was the only entity that was countywide. And I was president at the time. So I had several meetings in my living room, literally, uh, uh, Gene Trevathan, uh, John's father, was there. Ed Westgate, Virgil Gowron, Elwood Mee, Ed Westgate, Ed Bravelli. Uh, I'm probably forgetting somebody. Sorry, guys. But anyway, um, we got together, and I said, you know, they they all said we got to do this, and I said, and they and the question, how can we do it fast now? Because I wanted to hire a guy named Bob Dwyer to be an executive director of this organization and you needed money and insurance and an office and all this. So I said, let's make it a, a, a subcommittee of Napa County Farm Bureau. And by the way, you had an office, you had a secretary, you had liability insurance. Uh, all we had to do was collect dues. We started collecting dues. We hired Bob Dwyer and that's when we took off. And at the last, uh, last meeting in my living room, when we decided we're good to go, uh, John Trevethan was just about to cashier out of the Air Force in Italy. Uh, uh, and uh, his dad, Gene, was there. Uh, quite, a, quite a nice gentleman. John's a good friend. Uh, ridden motorcycles all over North America with the boy. But anyway, uh, even flew airplanes with him a long time ago. But I don't, Lord knows I don't do that either. Anymore. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but we were at this meeting and, and we, and, and, uh, I, I said, you know, we need a president. I said, I'm president of Farm Bureau. I can't be president of the Farm Bureau and the committee. Uh, uh, what do you think? And and Gene Trefethen, uh John's dad says, well, John's getting cashiered out of the Air, Air Force. He'll, he'll be here in, in about 60 days. So uh, I don't know if it was me or somebody else said, I nominate John Trefethen to be the first president. <laughs> Everybody seconded it, and he became president before he even, well, even knew there was an opening. <laughs> But, That's uh, a good one. Yeah, no, uh, and John's a genuine nice guy. He, in fact, he married uh, Janet, used to be Janet Spooner, uh, who worked for me when I started the insurance plan. She worked for the Grover Foundation. Yeah, it's been a pretty good, um, pretty good run so far. Well, well, in the establishment yeah. of the Ag Preserve, that like can't be understated. That is no. That yeah, I think we need to dig in on that. Significantly changed the landscape of. Napa, of, or didn't change the landscape. Well, yeah, what saved yeah. the landscape right, of Napa, right, and and right. And, and Sonoma followed suit, and that's yeah. why we're wine country and not, yeah, not Walnut Creek. Community. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at American Canyon; it runs right up to the Ag Preserve. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's something uh, I think 
it's the most important thing that uh, has affected my life. We wouldn't even be here today, but for that. None of us would be. No. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're going about all oh, the world's greatest wine. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but not, you know, tasting a Paris. Oh, big deal. If you didn't have an ag reserve, that wouldn't have happened either. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's vital. And I think we have to appreciate that. And I think we have to guard its, uh, longevity and its, uh, cohesiveness because you're, you know, we're getting, a lot of big outfits are moving in, and uh, I worry about, uh, you know, becoming a, a giant Disneyland or something. Right. It's it's crazy. Well, can two two things for me? Uh, break down for those of people who are listening who don't understand what the Ag Preserve is or how it works, and then let's talk about how we preserve it and, and safeguard it for future generations. Well, the the Ag Preserve is the land use ordinance, plain and simple. Napa, I believe, was the first one in the United States. And all of a wow. sudden... Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Wow. There have been others, Lord knows. It's Long Island fairly recently. Plugged one in, as I recall. But anyway, uh, uh, instead of being able to lob, cut your land up maybe a half acre at a time or maybe 10 acres and they put 100 houses on it or whatever, uh, your minimum lot split is 40 acres. Uh want to split your property once you better own 80 right and then if you kept it whatever you did with it you could engage in agriculture or something that supported agriculture but nothing else also you could build without use permits or anything you can build housing for farm workers hmm. but you can't charge for it and you can't do anything else with it and i've got one of those buildings immediately i jumped in because i I, I had a lot of experience in building, and I started pounding nails at the family ranch. We built, built a couple of extra bunk houses and uh, added to uh, the cookhouse at, at a dining room. They they have run a pretty large crew there, uh, and all of a sudden we had a place they they could all stay, and we could build it without any hassle. We'll try to add ten square feet to your winery and man, it's, right. seventeen uh, meetings and a years. And a, uh, but uh, a farm, farm worker housing bingo. Still, yeah, yeah, well. yeah. And, huge, yeah. No, and, and and now you worry about it being chipped chipped away. Well, you know, somebody says, "Well, I'm just, yeah, I'm, um, I've got a parcel here, and I, I, I want to add a uh, a garage for my house." Well, the garages are four or five thousand square feet. They have fifteen foot ceilings, and, <laughs> two sto uh, three stories. Yeah, and you know, and so. How big should the envelope be for your house site? Maybe it doesn't need to be an acre, but it certainly doesn't need to be four or five. We've had so much uh, commentary on the overgrowth, the Disneyland-esque uh, appearance of Napa these days. And, yeah. and you know, so you were directly involved in, in helping stop that, but it's kind of gotten around you, hasn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, and uh, I, um, I think it's gotten... Uh, uh, a little impersonal with the new ownerships coming in are very often uh, investment groups, corporations, uh, and they're all about uh, high wine prices. Maybe not. That's why they're there. Yeah. And they would like to see them higher. And maybe we'll have a tour for $250. And uh, 
and we'll sell a bottle of uh, our second uh, label for 500 and the first label is 800. And so what if it smells and tastes like eucalyptus trees? Uh, <laughs> that's, a spe that's a special plus. Uh, and, uh, and I would, people come, people come to us. Uh, we, we have a full slate of paradigm. And Marianne who's with me here today sees that it's full. Uh, we sell like about 65% direct to consumers. Uh, and, uh, uh, people come to the winery. They're very refreshed. They get to sit outside, look at a nice view of the Mayakamas mountains. It's quiet. We only take one group at a time, uh, and uh, it's uh, maybe gives us four or five, maybe even six tours a day. Uh, but that's it. And maybe they're as small as two. Maybe they're as big as ten. But that's kind of about it. But they all become club members. So you got over two thousand club members buying a case or more a year each. Well, we're we're trying to sell six or seven thousand cases of wine. That's a pretty good dent. Yeah. And they all send their friends, relatives, or what have you. Uh, and they come there and they say, how wonderful this is. And I always, I use the phrase, we haven't gone Disney. And, and, and they appreciate right. that. Okay. Yeah. How many cases do you produce at Paradigm? Well, it, we grow 100% of everything we make wine from. So, so it's all the state. Oh, yeah, 100%, right. yeah. And I still sell a few grapes, not very many. Uh, one of the things I engaged in over the years was as a broker with my uh connections to Farm Bureau and other organizations. Uh, uh, I was fairly well known in the grape growing community and I was buying and selling property for my wife and I, turning them over. And, uh, and uh, the broker I was uh, dealing with came to me one day and says, Ren, uh, you've always been good to me and I'm retiring. I'll, you can have my you know, my phone number list. Uh, Is Rolodex? Yeah, nice. Yeah, Rolodex, right? Yeah, <laughs> but get a. But he said get a license, so I did. And then, uh, uh, not being too feeble, I I hooked up with a very able business partner, Jeannie Phillips, who had never uh, owned a, a, a grapevine or knew anything about wine or grapes, but she had a dress business, so dresses for as a fact, small factory, but could sell you know ice ice cream to an Eskimo. But anyway. Uh, she also married one of my closest friends, but from 1978 to about 2002, we sold, I believe, at 77 places that became wineries or parts of wineries. Wow. Yeah. You, well, you, including like the property that is Screaming Eagle, you've sold twice through that. Well, right? Jeannie, Jeannie started Screaming Eagle. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, I was her farmer because she couldn't farm, but uh, <laughs> don't, don't tell her that. But. <laughs> Sure, the woman, sure, the woman can do anything. Trust me, she's probably still could. But, uh, but you know, I still have two guys in my crew, Fernando and Pedro, who uh, uh, worked uh, for, when I had my farming company, farmed her place as well as ours and some others. Uh, and now there are six. I have six full-time guys at my place. Those two guys plus uh, two guys named Antonio, Antonio, and Antonio Dos. <laughs> And we have two Jose's, as luck would have it. One Jose and the other we call Israel because that's his middle name. Not Jose uh, B. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, uh, that. Uh, oh, it's Oakville Ranch. I think I, yeah, I okay. think maybe one, two, maybe three. Three times through Oakville Ranch. Right, right. Yeah. Oakville Ranch. We have, we have a couple of wines from Oakville Ranch in here. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, and that's uh, one of the. I think we 
Do we bring a Zinfandel here? Yeah, it's right yeah. there. Um, yeah, we we talked about, about oh, yeah. wine. Oh, yeah, right? wine. Paradigm makes wine, right? <laughs> I, I wow. had to get up and use the bathroom because I drank most of the rosé. <laughs> uh, the rosé is fantastic. What is the, what's, in the, what's the rosé of Brian? Uh, 22 uh, rosé Merlot. It's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, rosé is uh, 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 a very uh, special clone. It comes from Chateau Petrus. And a little Chate place known as part of that. And Ch Chateau Petrus, uh, uh, the uh, principal of Petrus at the time, Christian Moex, who's now our neighbor, has Dominus and Ulysses right next to us, uh, right at Paradigm next to us, actually. But anyway, uh, he helped smuggle it in to, with Peter Newton, the guy who started uh, Sterling, and I got it. I got it from Peter Newton. But and Christian Moex tells a story, so I'm not afraid to use his name. And he and Peter apparently wrapped cuttings around their the upper part of their arms and put long safe shirts. So oh my god! <laughs> That's one of the more unique. Ways Been hitting ever. the gym, smuggling yeah. vine cuttings from France. It's, it's a great the, story. That's though. that goes beyond That's a suitcase perfect. selection when it's when yeah. it's literally like strapped to your biceps. Yeah. <laughs> But wine mule <laughs> we had a, a young gentleman that worked for us uh jason and he wanted to he was going leaving us and going he was an intern kind of thing and he wanted to get some of those cuttings uh to south africa his next stop and there's no way so we out there pruning time he got all the cuttings as we were pruning merlot wove them into rees tied a red bow around them and sent them in as christmas trees <laughs> nice. and they, they sailed right in <laughs> just decoration so, so uh, decoration. Ch chateau petrus is now in south africa too uh, uh, that's fantastic and, and the university has uh, uh cleaned it up and kept it clean yeah. and uh our merlot we farm differently than the rosé uh in that it's a slightly bigger crop uh, slightly about a pH of about 3.3 .3 as opposed to 3.56. This is for the rosé. For the rosé, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, no barrel aging, no bottle aging, uh, no cork. And instead of a five or six day fermentation at 90 degrees, it's a six week fermentation at 50. Hmm. Uh, nothing else blended in. And you've got a nice uh, uh, tannin to it. I wouldn't want this much tannin in a red wine. But it gives body to the rosé. And people that hate rosé uh, buy our wine, buy our rosé all the time. Because yeah. it's different than, there are others like this, but not, not very many. Right. Yeah. It has, it has mouthfeel. It's got texture. It's got great fruit. Yeah. 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 And the aromatics are total. Yeah. No, it, it's, and, you know, the way we make it, we can sell this for 40 bucks a bottle and make a profit. Yeah. Well, those of you that haven't been to Paradigm to do a tasting, I highly encourage it because even though you are sort of close to the the, the major thoroughfare street from um, Robert Mondavi, right? right that once you get back there and sit down at a table, you, you feel like you're at a farm, um, and it's quiet, um, and you're looking up at the Mayakamas. Um, the wines are amazing, and it's not going to break the bank when you want to take some of them home. And I have the best time at, at, at my advanced age. I'm not out there budding grapevines or pruning. I do drive the forklift still, but uh, I, I meet and greet everybody that's there, and I have a, it's great. I, I meet up probably 100-plus people a week who I'd never know otherwise, and <laughs> I, I, I had a funny 
experience. I was going through JFK Airport. We Oakville goes to. We, I perform at Carnegie Hall every other year pouring wine, but still I'm still performing at Carnegie Hall. But anyway, I was going take, down, take that one to the bank. <laughs> I was going down J J JFK and this woman comes up to me. She says, "You look just like Ren Harris," and, and I said, "Well, you know, other people have told me that, but he's actually a lot better looking." And so she looks at me and she goes, "Well, yeah." <laughs> So I was just going to say, so I, I went to Paradigm. The first time I'd been exposed to you was my wife split a wine club with a coworker and it was time to go pick it up. And since I lived up here, we were just dating at the time. Um, and I drove, I kept turning around. Now I hear it might've been in your driveway trying to find it because when I pulled up, it said no wineries, but this was the address that she had given me and it was before Google. And so I eventually realized that that was where, and I picked up the wine. So I looked to see what I had it left from the wines that she bought. Um, a couple bottles of uh, 2018 in 2019 19 would be pretty recent but i was um i was told not to i'm sorry no no 2000 we were dating to, to, right yeah well dane is right no, that, that, that's right so and i was told do not bring those any of those to the tasting today <laughs> and she actually checked to make sure i didn't have them <laughs> inspected your bags as you were leaving the house <laughs> yeah we've had some interesting but I will I will say what Brian said. It's a beautiful spot, and you don't feel like you're where you are. No, it's the it's what is now. It's the unnapa tasting experience. Right. You know, there's there, nothing. There, there are a few. There's others. a few others. Yeah, you. But yeah, then that used to be the norm, right? Um, and big problem is really inheritance, and even if you pass it down, to the, are the siblings going to get along with each other? Right. And, uh, we we've got our place in trust to two grandkids, and we're in the process of prepaying inheritance taxes. Hmm. Uh, and I hope they get along. <laughs> I won't be here to worry about it. I guess. But. Remember, Sam? Even even the barrel room kind of freaked us out a little bit because we went in there and oh, just tiny that, little like... barrel room, and everything was like the the way you had the barrels stacked in there too. Just kind of. Um, baffled like us a, a little custom... bit. Well, that, I put those. I used to be in the building game but the barrel racks are part of uh the actual structure they're yeah. holding the building up <laughs> as well as the barrels uh but it worked out that way i i can squeeze pretty close to 600 barrels in that space we just couldn't figure out how you got them down oh well we have a we have a platform that goes on the forklift and you roll you you only move them empty for starters right. okay. uh and then you uh uh Roll them off the ends onto this platform and bring them down four at a time. Take them outside. Yeah. Steam cleaning because when we we ferment, um, we bring it down to about four percent bricks, and uh, in, in, uh, in the tanks. Then we put them in barrels, and they do the last four percent plus malolactic in the barrels. Mm -hmm. And then when that's done, which is maybe a month, six weeks out, we we have to empty them, uh, take them out of the barrel room steam clean the barrels then put the wine back in because we keep all our lots separate uh so you move them a lot and then we yeah. we racked that initially right up front then we rack them twice more during 20 to 22 months they're in and the fourth time we rack them we do our blending right. 
it's just a really tight space. And we had just come from Napa Valley Reserve where we were walking through these huge caves where you could literally drive cars through them. Right. I think they do, they, as long as they're luxury cars. Probably do. And then, um, and then it was just a drastic um, um, difference when we got there um, of like, wow, this is a way to maximize space. Well, I don't want to take out grapevines just to build a winery. <laughs> there you go. I, I mean, that, that, that says it all right there, right? The biggest right? day of the day on that. Right, one, for like, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We we know what the priority is. Right. Because a lot of places can take out grape vines and then just buy grapes somewhere else to fill that wine well, right? yeah. at ridiculous prices. And, right. and that that's you know that's how one of the ways you keep the lid on price. I can grow a ton of grapes for maybe twenty percent of what I can sell them for. Right. So I don't know what it is. Something like, it's pretty drastic. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. Well, Zinfandel's wrong. I think I bought a bunch yeah. of the Zim. That's the the problem with going to Paradigm is the wines are so fairly priced that you just keep buying them. You want them all, right? That's you go to another Napa. <laughs> you go to you go to another Napa place and you're like, "Wow, I really like it. I'll buy a bottle." Wait, but what was the one that we all, all bought? That it's not here today, but it was the one that we all wanted. And oh, it's I think the... Marianne said that we could have a little bit of it. Paradigm's the blend, yeah, yeah, the secret blend. Yeah. Are we allowed to talk about it? Okay. <laughs> well, we got the Zen here. Going yeah, let's talk about yeah, the Zen. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the winemaking in general. I mean, you talked a little bit about the fermentation, yeah. but um, you know, I think that your winemaker is worth. Uh, well, Heidi Barrett yeah. uh, uh, has uh, been with us for thirty-two years now. Yeah. Her dad, uh, Dick Peterson, helped <laughs> me uh, uh, put together the equipment and whatnot that uh, we're using. And, um, uh, and then Mark uh, Fossey is a, a, my GM, and he's also a well-qualified winemaker. Yeah. And uh, I have Pedro Martinez, who's been with us uh, 32 years. He does all the work in the cellar, keeps things impeccably clean, bacteria-free and whatnot. But all that being said, I think we make our wine out in the vineyard. Absolutely. All right. All right. There you go. Oh. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, That's what uh, matters. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, again, a well-experienced crew. Uh, they tell me what they're going to do. I'm just a cheerleader. But, uh, but uh, in terms of pruning, we change our canes every year. Uh, we uh, have a backup spur. Next year's canes to come off those spurs. And that dance goes back and forth uh, every year. Um, we uh, keep a nice canopy of leaves over the top of them. We put, uh, now we're controlling mealy bugs, we put uh, pheromone strips out there so the little bugs don't have sexual relations with each other and lay <laughs> a bunch of eggs. Um, and uh, and then we also make sure we don't have giant clusters out there. Uh, keep, keep your second crops out of there. Um, and uh, keep your vineyard healthy. Uh, and... Uh, don't uh, uh, bring in uh, uh, any leaves or what you do bring in. Some do come. Uh, get them out of there. Don't send them up to crusher. Then we crush. We leave about 15 to 20% literally uncrushed grapes. Uh, we live in fear of uh, harsh tannins. Right. Destemmed but not crushed. Yes. Yeah. Destemmed but not crushed. Uh, and... Uh, we don't cold soak again, washing out for tannins. Huh. Uh, 
we don't fine. Uh, uh, we, uh, we, we, we will filter it bodily. But, uh, uh, and then uh, you, um, you're in the process of making your blends. If something doesn't fit, it goes down the road by the gallon. Right. In 2020, uh, we sent the entire crop down the road by the gallon. Yeah. Um, we did make wine out of it. I wouldn't put it in barrels. I'm seeing those, uh, a lot of the 2020s out there. and James Suckling is tasting a lot of them. I've been following him on Instagram, and uh, there's a lot of people releasing them. Uh, and they're brands. Neighbors of yours. Yeah, they're brands of, I, I would have thought they might be more protective of. Yeah. yeah. When you taste them, I don't know. Uh, in my head, you're looking for, you know, it's a 2020. There's got to be something wrong. Maybe you think that I do at least. And so uh, maybe I'm more conscious than I should be. But I believe I've had a different mouthfeel with every single cab I've tasted. Uh, and I believe the fruit's weaker. And uh, we did some our first trial blends uh, earlier this week with Heidi and Mark. And uh, Heidi's... Uh, consults with some other wineries and uh, she was saying that the stuff that people picked sort of tasted okay they did reverse osmosis and yeah. but he says now that's reversing back and now okay. it's becoming stronger in the bottle yeah. Yeah. and those guys so they're maybe stuck with that or will be and also what are you going to do with the barrels right right I never even thought about that can't put let me know yeah. I mean, that's the weird thing that I've in those barrels. Right. You want to oh. put good wine into bad barrels. Right. Yeah. That's right. that's the weird thing about that to think that that it's that that the compound stays in the barrels and can in fact sure go on. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. no, but it's hard to wrap your head around it, right? You're not but, having to buy not, barrels on an annual basis, right? But I I didn't even think that far down the line that yeah, yeah you're paying a thousand bucks for these for well, these we, we, except barrels. for the Zinfandel which we're sipping here, we use all French oak, oh. and half of it's new and half of it's been used once. And the Zinfandel we use American oak yep. because uh, I like the butterscotch caramel character of American oak, and, but it still is fifty fifty percent no. Which you're saying, but it's only twelve barrels a year. Right. Yeah. But uh no, and the the plant material for this I got from an old gentleman named Joe Worley in nineteen sixty eight. Um I was doing some I was clowning around what I was doing, but anyway, I went up to see Joe because he had this old, old uh oh. Zinfandel vineyard that I'd heard about and the where, stumps where was it? On the Silverado Trail in Oakville on the east side. Okay. And so there are big old stumps there. And and Joe was nine years old at the time. And he told me when he was a young kid, those vines were old vines. <laughs> so that definitely puts them in the 1800s. And they were heavily diseased. And I was, like I say, clowning around. But I got some cuttings from Joe. And I just stuck them in raised beds in the vegetable garden. Uh, and they... Huh. They sprouted, and I took cuttings off of those. <laughs> uh, try look, who, look who walked in, Mr. Uh, Phil Katori. Uh, Phil, Brent Harris. Phil, how are you? Good, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. But anyway, uh, uh, when the cuttings came out, I, I clipped them off and rooted those, trying to beat the disease out, and I was semi-successful. Uh, but I planted some, and... Um, 
a couple of vines came in uh, fairly clean, and then I uh, moved some of those into the vineyard. And since then, the university has come in and they've cleaned it up. And Oakville Ranch, you mentioned you guys got some from them. They have all this same clone. I, I came from there. So do you think do you think it's a hundred percent Zen? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't know you said taking cuttings. I don't know if you, you know, was was the original vineyard a hundred percent Zen. Oh, I uh I that I what I saved was. Right, yeah. Got uh, it. Yeah, just just wondering. It's uh, delicious. And as I I think, quite honestly, if you don't like Simpando, you don't like wine. <laughs> I'm, ser I'm serious, yeah. you know. But is is that why you decided to keep Zinfandel? Because I imagine you you could probably you get more money for Cabernet coming well, off the property. Well, right? I have a cavalier relationship with money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we know people like that. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 this is it's great. Yeah. You know. Uh, we got. Oh, hey, we doubled it. It it is just. Getting doubled, I should say. We haven't doubled it yet. But anyway, no, I, I love it, uh, and uh, it's it harks back to when I was uh, in high school in San Francisco. Uh, the wine from my Italian family's uh, parents and friends, parents, He's and grandparents, guy, Dad. was uh, <laughs> Zinfandel or what we used to call Petacera, and they called it. Petite Sarah and up the price, but yeah. it's, it was better Sarah. <laughs> but, uh, but but that's what I uh, that was always wine to me. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I I mean I'm not that I'm bad mouthing my Cabernet. Lord knows, no, I go to a lot of trouble with that. And and the Merlot and the Cab Franc. Yeah. And we even have a little Petite Verdot out there. And we are now uh, uh, certified organic uh, olive growers as well as organic grape growers. Oh, nice. Ta -da. And yeah. I think we, we, we're going to leave a couple of bottles of that olive oil behind. You guys were kind enough to leave me a little bit. so. Oh, gonna, that's right. When we came tasting, we brought some olive oil. Yeah, we're, we're reciprocating. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. No, no, I, I really admire your, your scene, which is why I agreed to come over here. I, meeting you guys and, and uh, trying the, I try the olive oil first. <laughs> before he agreed to come over <laughs> you bet you bet and, and before the wine also probably. Yeah, well that's true yeah right, actually yeah, yeah, but yeah. but it's good you know yeah. and we made a trip to italy with some other folks growers from oakville and did an olive oil uh tasting comparative tasting by variety and we four varieties which are fairly common over here as it turned out uh we were able to buy we planted them and uh, the olive oil we bought here today is the first crop we were able to um, actually make, had enough oil or had enough olives to make our own oil out yeah. of. And I hope we have 116 trees now. Uh, we're at about 45 gallons now. If I get up to 100, uh, I'll probably maybe sell a little bit. Is it? But it is we right. all our guests taste it and, and of course bring it home. And, and wait, how do you guys serve it in the tasting room? I'm just curious. Do you do you we, pour it in a little thing and let and then get some bread for people? We, we, we buy. Uh, I call it French bread, but yeah, uh, we cut it up into uh, into uh, small slices and they yeah. dip in it while they taste all. It's the only food you're going to get a paradigm. No gourmet five course lunches at right. several hundred dollars. <laughs> no, because you want people to go to the restaurants that support you, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I support them absolutely quite well myself. Yeah. 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 We just like to always let people know that to support the restaurants. Uh, well, our, the the, yeah. the, the uh, uh, sales we do sell wholesale is almost 
always to reference, particularly outside of California. Yeah. So, so you have Cab Merlot, Petit Verdot, Malbec. No Malbec. No, no, no Malbec. No, no. Okay. Cab. So, so Cab Cab Franc, Merlot, Petit Verdot, some Zinfandel. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, no Petit. Uh, oh yeah, Petit Verdot. Yeah. 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 This that is uh, blending in the paravines you're, you're mentioning is is a blend. Uh, we we've only made five times. I think we'll probably try to continue making we have a little uh, petite for left over we marry it up to some merlot close to That's 50 50 was, right uh and uh yeah it's a, it's a very nice bottle of wine yeah. that was delicious yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and our cab franc is very delicious too and that that's the one i don't know you mentioned your wife didn't want you to. No, you know, and I, I was corrected on the vintages. That was what my phone call was. <laughs> I guess oh, she does. She, heard. <laughs> she we haven't even posted it. It's right, right. <laughs> she heard it was ninety seven and ninety eight. Oh, yeah. So are those okay. drink and hold, drink or holds? Uh, well, if you're eighty one years old, you better damn straight drink. <laughs> them, <right? laughs> Uh, it's always a drink. I'm going to tell her you said that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, no, they're they're definitely yeah. drinkable. I I think uh, the, of all the wines we make, uh, they're all age worthy. Uh, I, I I maybe not. Well, I never tried to age the the rosé, but uh, Zinfandel is every bit as ageable, maybe more ageable than the Cabernet. I opened a month or so ago a '78 Zinfandel I made. As a home wine maker, uh, it was alive, fruity, yeah. unbelievable yeah. color. It, 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 it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that be, being stunned at getting this little collection from from a woman whose whose uh, husband had passed away, and she gave us all her bottles of wine. And there was a '67 David. This is a couple of years ago, '67 David Bruce Zinfandel, and we just opened it up right away because we thought, oh, this thing's got to be. Um, way past its prime and it was out of all the wines that she had she had bordeaux in there and all that it was one of the best wines that we had uh, i opened the 78 Zinfandel at brick's restaurant my good friend patrick odell who we sold turnbull winery two years ago and before him we sold it to charlie sawyer there's a place i sold twice yeah. uh, <laughs> that's uh that was a that was a good one uh charlie sawyer uh still is still alive and uh, He's hurting a little bit, but a, a good friend. But he was just just wringing his hands over. Should I buy this or should I? We show him one place, another place, another place, and we're at uh, what became what is now Turnbull, and uh, uh, so Federico uh, Ramos was the foreman there, uh, and Charlie goes, Federico, what do you think? Well, Mr. Sawyer, you know, you'd be alive this long, you'd be dead this long. (laughs) (laughs) Tri says, you're right. I'll take it. (laughs) And, and, uh, yeah, uh, but, yeah, I've had a a good time. I got to tell you, you guys haven't asked them. You're the only ones that have failed to ask this question. Uh, every other tourist asks us how we came up with the name. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I think I think we asked. Did we ask when, when we, we were there? there doing the tasting? But but you're right. It's an unusual name, and it and it's not your last name, right? No. Well, or your, or, or your first name. Yeah. 
But, but no, the, when we started, I mean, we grew grapes for years before we had a label. We started a label. I was didn't want to name it after ourselves. Having and why? Well, I was in real estate. Could you imagine selling Ren Harris Winery? Right, right. Uh, huh? Selling your name, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Hard. Could... Well, it's not hard. Who wants it? <laughs> Turnbull used to be Johnson Turnbull. Right. Uh, and before that, it was Sawyer. Uh, mm. uh, but uh, eventually, you know, you want to... So we came up with lots of names we like, but they're all trademarked. And so I put the word out to among friends and uh, uh, and relatives. If you come up with a name that I can use uh, and do use, I should say too, uh, we'll send you a case of wine a year for life, either mine or yours. Whoever dies first, it's over. <laughs> uh, and Jim and Sue Dillon, uh, he, he had Jim had just uh, retired as a banker in Boston, and this had been about ninety-two or three, I guess. Uh, came up with Paradigm. We were able to lock it down, and uh, Sue died about six months ago, but Jim's still alive, so he gets another case this year. Oh, yeah, he's going to last as long as possible. But <laughs> they came up with Paradigm, and, uh, and two weeks after we put our war in the water, Schramsberg wanted to name something Paradigm, and they bumped into us, and that was that. But uh, yeah, it's not easy coming up with a name. Oh, I, especially now. The, some of the names that I hear, are, I think, it, I don't know if it's these people up in an office somewhere that come up with it or that they just run out of ideas but it's it's, it's not easy i when i was planning uh, i planted uh, the phelps vineyard back in the, i think 73 4 when i was doing my custom farming thing and joe phelps didn't want to name it phelps and his prize for something came out the name was a case of i think it was 62 chateau Brion. uh and nobody came up with one it became joseph phelps uh, <laughs> And I was trying. That wine. was a good case of wine. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Is that contest still open? I'd like to enter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. No, it's, uh, How did you get into motorcycles? And what's the name of your motorcycle club? Uh, well, the Gil Nickel was chiefly responsible for the club aspect of it. Um, and they, As in Nickel and? Gil Nickel, Nickel and Nickel, Farniente. Right. Yeah. yeah. But he named it Napa Valley Touring Society uh, like it was something fancy. Uh, Gil was a, a very close friend. I was literally with him the night he died. And I'm still good friends with his widow, Beth, and sweet lady. But uh, I was looking for something a little more angry, like a right. motorcycle club, right? Like the yeah. Napa Valley. Well, this was the antithesis of that. And it was just <laughs> right. exactly why he did it. Right. If you knew Gil, you'd understand that. And, and uh, probably how you traveled. <laughs> yeah, to some degree, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But uh, no, uh, and then I, I was already into it. I have a couple of close friends, uh, Richard Bennett and Harold Morrison. We've had Saturday breakfast together, uh, the three of us and, and wives, for over 50 years every Saturday. But uh, uh, Harold rode motorcycles, and Richard did, and Richard was a superior court judge and Harold ran, his family ran the local funeral home in San Lena, but they were riding motorcycles. So, and I'd had one around the ranch. I mean, uh, but it became a little more interesting when you were going out in the road with your buddies, as opposed to something just bouncing around. What's your favorite bike that you had? Um, uh, 1999 R1100 S BMW with the first, uh, maybe, uh, the brakes on that. Let's see how that they had that had the uh, 
when they, the brakes that don't lock up again. Well, is that a direct drive? It's not a chain drive, is it? No. Okay. No, it's, it's a uh, it's a twin cylinder and it's a shaft drive. Yeah. That's I think probably the only one, isn't it? I I it might well be. I've had several bikes. I've had uh, started out with a whole bunch of Honda, starting out with a one ten trail bike. And, Phil, uh, Phil, did you ride in your day, or have you ever ATVs. been into all ATVs? All, all ATVs. I I had a Honda. I was going to drive to go to school, Sonoma State, with over Snow Mountain. Right. And the first day I went, my books fell off the back. I turned around and ended up in a creek. <laughs> <laughs> so I want four wheels. <laughs> I'm too, too too distracted. But I owned a Harley, uh, but I probably owned uh, I don't know twenty different BMWs. So when you uh, mentioned Richard Bennett, is that the man that has a vineyard in? Uh, no, he was in the Prairie Court Judge. Oh, okay. He was president of his uh, class at uh, at uh, Hastings in San Francisco. He um, uh, was. Is a very very bright guy, uh, and uh, years ago he uh, had before him this uh, individual, uh, Bubba, uh, who had, was up there for robbing several homes and one thing or another for over a period of time. And he came before Richard, and Richard uh, said, "Well, uh, Mr. Bubba, I forget what Bubba's real name was, but that was his nickname." He says, I, I have to recuse myself from this uh, case because you're one of the houses, uh, uh, I'm, I own one of the houses you've been accused of uh, burglarizing. But I will tell you this, your uh, probation officer hasn't been born yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> but he also let a guy go, uh, not exactly. A, Ch a Chinese family business went broke because somebody had stolen a quarter million dollars. They didn't know who or how. And one of the former employees came forward and said, well, I did it, and here's your money back. But he still broke the, broke the law and all this, so they to prosecute him. And uh, uh, if he got he, from China, if they sent him back to China, they were going to execute him. If he wow. kept him in this country, they're going to put him in jail. So uh, Richard deported him to England. <laughs> he made headlines for that good one. luck yeah. Yeah. well he didn't go to jail yeah, yeah. so Randall your day to day are you working at the tasting house pretty much seven days a week seven days a week not all day Saturday and Sunday but I show up yeah. I enjoy meeting people and yeah. my uh, wife on the other hand uh, I married a party doll by the way I don't know if you remember the famous Buddy Knox song but trust me she, yeah. she, she would she would uh, she she's up for anything. I am what known as a reluctant traveler, and and I'm been informed I'm just as bad as her father was. Wow! So, <laughs> so. and you guys just celebrated your sixty fifty eight fifty eighth anniversary. Okay, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a not a secret how you do that. Uh, maybe you guys need a lesson. We just never both wanted a divorce at the same time. <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> That's how it works. And if you've been married very long, you'll understand how true that is. Yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> All right, and let's just talk quickly about the cab because we 
this is also really good. Although I'm still uh, wanting for the Zinfandel. Isn't, isn't yet. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, I know. Yeah. This is a 16 cab, uh, and I we have 11 different blocks of Cabernet, and it's one I've. And the, not just me; the whole valley is kind of specialized in Cabernet, maybe too much in some respects. Which is why I'm planning a little more Zinfandel, and, uh, a little more Cab Franc. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, we have six different clones of Cabernet on five different rootstocks. And uh, they become ripe somewhat sequentially, which is helpful. Um, you want them all ripe the same day. Because you guys do everything right there on property. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we do our own farming. We have our own warehouse, bottling, shipping, packing. Uh, my six-man full-time crew do all the winery work, all the vineyard work, packing, shipping, bottling. Wow. Marianne takes care of the tasting room. Uh, and uh, we have a brand manager that uh, new newly started, actually, just a few days ago, uh, uh, Kate Walker, who uh, we pirated from uh, I shouldn't say that <laughs> you can so I won't but they're, anyway. not, they're not listening <laughs> but anyway uh, but a very capable lady and we kind of specialize what we ship out is just pretty much Cabernet we don't there's a little bit of the other going out in California but I'm very jealous of there's something though yeah uh, and there's some locals that have it because I'll go there and buy it back that way I get it for half price. So <laughs> and what does your brother do? My brother, Greg. Yeah. Uh, uh, Besides, he seems to be. He's been, he's, he's, uh, he, well, he, uh, my brother, Jim, uh, there's a, there's a good story. Anyway, my brother, Jim, uh, built, uh, built the miner. He was a general contractor. And when I was back years ago on the trade, he was kind of, uh, the, Genre. He was kind of maybe just kind of getting started. He's six years younger, but he and Greg and my other brother Tim, who we lost a little over a year ago, uh, uh, stayed in it uh, for a time. Greg branched out. He ran a tasting room up in uh, Ukiah for a while. He worked in our vineyard for a while. He lived with us for a while, uh, uh, even while he was going to high school. Greg was Greg's lucky to be alive. Let's put it that way. But anyway. Uh, but he, uh, but he, he's there on weekends, but the story I was going to tell about my brother, Jim is he, uh, he did, literally did build a winery. I mean, and he's hands on, he remodeled our house and my daughter's house. And, uh, he's very, very good and fast. And, uh, and he got a good head for design and everything. Uh, he goes to the gold mirror in San Francisco, fairly well-known restaurant, sits down. It's the only seat at the bar between two people. And he's waiting for his table, so he orders a bottle of Paradigm that they have, have there it, because he saw to it. Uh, and uh, he gets at the table, and the woman sitting next to him, he says, do you know that wine? He goes, yeah, I built a winery. And she points to him, I'm your cousin. <laughs> and she was, because she's been following us on Facebook, knew what the family was up to. I, last time I saw her, I was 13. <laughs> oh my God. And, 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 she, and he bought her up for one of we have lunch once a month together, Greg, Jim, and I. Uh, and he bought her up uh, in December, I think it was, for a month and lunch then. And so we met uh, Julie Darcy for the uh, first time, I guess, since I was 13. And I forgot to tell you, Ren, but 
I'm actually your cousin too. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, I, when I don't can I come believe over? it. Yeah. 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 Ryan's saying that just for the Zen. That's yeah. right. Well, and I, the rosé. Like I, I have. We are at. Uh, we have a group of us in the wine business have lunch on uh, on uh, Wednesdays, and uh, like I told this one gal that I could be bought. She, I had a bottle of uh, 2000 Chenin Blanc. Uh, the night before, and we we're talking about it. And this guy was starting to go crazy. She says, "I worked, I worked that vintage. I worked at Sh Shovel Blanc in 2000. I've never had a bottle. I'd give anything for a bottle." And that's why I told her I could be bought. You know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're, I told her I was going to bring one uh, yeah, next Saturday, we'll, or next Wednesday rather. We'll see how it goes. You're bringing a Shovel Blanc to lunch. Yeah. He hasn't said where the lunch place is. Yeah. You've noticed that, right? <laughs> Brian's making sure that genealogy checks out right now. But one thing, I, Marion helpfully sent me a bunch of notes beforehand. You're a sixth generation California. Californian, yeah. which goes back to basically six generations ago, some of the first Europeans in California. Actually, the first. The first. Yeah. Um, uh, Carrillo, C A R R I L L O is the family name. Okay. Um, As in. Yeah. Uh, well, before that, he was with the Portola expedition, came to California in 1769. Uh, he was the first commandant of the Presidio in San Diego. Right. right. Juniper Sarah married him and my great grandmother times five. At, uh, by, Juniper Sarah married them in 1781, San Mateo. Um, Leo Carrillo, the guy that played Poncho, and this, right. yeah. uh, Leo Carrillo, my grandfather, were first cousins. Huh. Uh, one of the descendants was mayor of LA three times. Benicia, who was married to Vallejo, was right. sisters to my great great grandmother. <laughs> the lady that's credited with founding Santa Rosa is also a Carrillo. I might be your cousin. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be. <laughs> but, but, but I'll tell you, the, the, the thing I'm most proud of is I have three, three of my grandparents are born in Ireland. Wow. And, and that's not just wine, but whiskey's important too. And, uh, and uh, I think a good sense of humor, uh, and Lord knows they all had it, um, I think it's important. Yeah. And uh, it's 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 been a it's been a nice mix, and I um, I happen to be two percent Native American uh, and two percent Viking because the Spaniards raped and pillaged when they got to this continent, and the Vikings raped and pillaged in Ireland when they got there. Right. And then I, from, as luck would have it, I find this all out through Twenty Three and Me because my yep. somewhat nosy sister-in-law gave me a gift. <laughs> And That's what my, my mother-in-law gave me the 23 and me. Same reason. But, you know, she wouldn't let off. I wasn't sending it. It was funny. I said, just to shut her up, I sent it in. Yeah. And I get this thing back. And I'm 0.5% Ashkenazi Jewish. So I immediately phoned my good friend, Paul Frank, who's sort of semi-Orthodox. I said, Paul, I'm 0.5% Ashkenazi Jewish. And he goes, bar mitzvah over the phone. <laughs> Oh, there's a character. Oh, God. Yeah, he started Jim. I sold him. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. He and his wife. He he could make it as a stand-up comedian. That guy or something else. So what advice do you have to um, 
the wine business in Sonoma and Napa counties uh, going forward with if you were going to look into a crystal ball? Uh, I'd say learn to love it and you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 cause I do, I, I have a good time every day. I love the people I work with. I love the people I'm associated with uh, yeah. in, in the businesses and it's worldwide, you know, right. I, I can go in Napa, I can go into a grocery store or, or any more, a doctor's office, Lord knows. You know everybody there, it seems. You know? right. uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was picking a melon out at Safeway in St. Helena. I had five housewives showing me how to pick out a melon. <laughs> and then I just started laughing, you know. Yeah, you know, you, you, you knew them all or, or, you, or you knew their, in my case, I knew their parents and sometimes grandparents. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. And yeah, it is. I mean, we're so lucky that at the end of the day, all the work that we do goes into producing this, right? Yeah. I mean, it could be cornflakes. Yeah. That we yeah. Were, right. Iowa. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've met some pretty good people from Iowa. We have met the winery, Lord knows. Yeah. But uh, in fact, I went to a motorcycle rally in Iowa one time. That was a long ride. But you're not making wine in Iowa. <laughs> No, but I might sell a little. Yeah. Archie Ar Ar Steakhouse, Lamar's, Iowa. Trust me. Shout out. There we go. Thanks to all our fans in Iowa. We have some listeners in Iowa for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming over to the. And I don't, it's one I don't want to end. Just, just we, I mean, eventually we yeah. have another show lined up tomorrow, so we got. <laughs> well, no, it's been fun. I appreciate yeah. the invite, and I certainly, if you guys ever feel the urge you come back though we'll we'll we any, will. if i haven't drunk all the zinfandel we'll right we can come ren have you met phil before i i, we, I we've yeah been around a, yeah i think i have few, yeah. yeah quite a few different events uh, was it in jail there you go uh, i worked with ann botter oh okay Yeah. 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 Marianne's saying off microphone that this is under Heidi Barrett at Paradigm. Right. And Vodder worked there. Helen Couplinger. Molly Lippett. Molly Lippett. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely, you know. Well, a, uh, Helen is something else. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I was looking for somebody and she, uh, I get this resume. Oh, I've hung sheetrock. I've busted up concrete. And, and you know, uh, you know, all this stuff. And this little tiny thing comes around the corner. First thing I said to her was, I thought you'd be a lot bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but she could keep up with the fastest guy in my crew. Uh, and she and, and was intent upon doing it. I mean, she, she was, I, mean, if I had lunch with her oh, about, about maybe less than a month ago now. She makes a hell of a bottle of wine, Keplinger. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where we. So our, our day in Napa when we met you, we went to Napa Valley Reserve, where we tasted wine but didn't see a single bottle. We tasted no. other barrels, yeah. uh, and then went to Paradigm, mm -hmm. favorite Napa experience I've ever had, yeah. uh, and then we went to Helen's new tasting room yeah. downtown. And and Waters, another one. Yeah. And us. she's still sailing around the world. Well, uh, I get emails all the time, and. Um, I remember finding out where to send a bottle of wine to her for Christmas. Uh, 
but I think she's over in France now. But she she still has a label and she comes over. But uh, is she still doing Red American? I I think so. But uh, yeah, she uh, you know, Jennifer Root took a, was working a little bit after when yeah, she left. Yeah, I'll have to ask her. Oh yeah, no, we, uh, yeah, yeah, she capable lady. I don't know, you know, maybe maybe women should all the politicians were women. Maybe, maybe they couldn't easier. screw it up any worse than the guys have. Like, you know, walking walking vineyards with Ann Bowder up in Oakville. <coughs> she was making the wines there, and uh, her whole perception of flavor and 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 and. and uh, ripeness all revolved around colors so she would just constantly huh. talk about a, a different variation of, of colors to express what she was looking for in ripeness which always always really amazed me because you know as you know i saw a lot of different winemakers helen being one of them uh you know there's a whole list there's always i love walking a vineyard having them explain their their definition of what ripeness is because that's you know, that's you know, that's the one decision that you have to you have to get right, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. And and it's the the more articulate a winemaker is, indefinite a winemaker is on what ripeness is. I think the more expressive the wines that they make are. Yeah, yeah. I we uh, definitely use that method, and we also we pick by uh, pH. Yeah. If that isn't there, I don't care what the flavor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but three point five six, uh, then then right around dance around that number for right. maybe Forever. a day or two here yeah. and there, but don't play with it. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't trust it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So they get you get good freshness and ripeness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's what you want to want. Yeah. All right, boys. I know it's the podcast. We don't want to. We don't want to yeah. end. I feel like there's a thousand more stories. That we could probably tell. I'll sell you some. Oh, there you go. All right. I'll trade you for some Zinfandel. Well, well, let's first of all reiterate if you're coming to wine country, yeah. Yeah. email Marianne, make an appointment. If if you go to one place in Napa, go to Paradigm. Right. Um, especially if you're, you know, if you're a fan of what what Bart does, Dane Sellers, 16600. You know the people that we have on the show. It's the the Napa way to have that experience. Yeah, totally. Um, buy the wines, go find them in your local shop. You're basically in your local restaurant. Basically in forty plus states, right? Something yeah, like oh that. yeah, yeah. yeah. Thirty and something. How does so you everybody can, get in touch with you and Paradigm? And well, the, the, we have a, we have a, a website. Okay. For starters, but do make an appointment because uh, yeah. your odds yeah. aren't are yeah. very good otherwise. Info at paradigmwinery.com. There you go. Thanks, Mary. And at, yeah, and you can probably get there through at Paradigm Winery yeah. on all the social media yeah. things. I, uh, yeah. I make a, it's a vow, I guess I took. I've never been on social media. <laughs> well, then. But Marianne is, right. thankfully. That's why <laughs> That's why you pay her the big bucks. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you very much. This yep. has been awesome. No, it's been fun. Yeah. 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 It's been Good great. Good to see you guys. And, yeah. and congratulations on an amazing uh, career. Yeah. Pretty inspiring. Looking forward to Harvest Number 60. Number 60. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. And he's the only one I've listened to because we've asked people when when this when the snow started coming down, we started asking people that were coming on the show what they think. Um, all of them can talk 
whatever they want to talk. When Ren started telling me how things were going to be this year, I was like, no, he's done 60 Harvey's. He yeah. probably knows what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> well, because... <laughs> he might have seen snow. Because I know growing up here, I've seen snow a few times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not my name, but yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, because one of our recent guests says the atmospheric rivers are done, but... We're going to be back this week. We're, in, we're currently yeah, yeah. Right. We're at the headwaters right now, I think. So yeah. so get ready. Here we go. Yep. How's the water run off your property? Oh, it's fine. We got a 40-foot uh, drop from one corner to the other in the property. Yeah. yeah. By design. Well, God designed that, yeah. I guess. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right, guys. Any uh, shout-outs you want to give? By the time you're hearing this, there should be maybe just a few tickets left for April Phil's Day, the Rossi Ranch celebration, April 1st at uh, yeah. the Fairmont. So if, if you are thinking oh, about getting a ticket, getting get a ticket, get oh. a ticket now. Eventbrite, you can find it on our, if you go to our website, winery16600.com, uh, under wines is where you have a portal to buy a ticket. Yep. Or just go to 16600.com slash APD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, and Phil, what a great name you came up with that. Uh, it's just, it's absolutely perfect. One of the great names that we convinced you to let us use. What, Phil? April Phil's Day. Uh, I've always been a fool, so it's, it's easy. It was a natural. It was, it was organic. Let's just put it that way. Right. All right, we got some fun guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, you want to talk about the next one? and I'll pa Patrick Cappiello right. will be a podcast coming out a, a week after this one. Uh, Those of us that have had White Zinfandel in the last few years, it probably came from him. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Maverick saw him in, in New York City and now Winemaker out in uh, Monterio Cellars. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be a good one. And then and then Dan Costa is coming on. So Dan Costa, formerly, you know, Costa Brown. I don't know if he's even still affiliated, um, but he has a brand called Convene. Um, now that we, um, that I have tried and, and it'll be fun to talk to him because I know Costa Brown during COVID, they had a couple guys working for them that had international passports. So they were able to travel and they put together this whole project in Burgundy where Costa Brown is going to be buying grapes in Burgundy, having them shipped over and then bottled here in the United States with a Costa, so it'll be Costa Brown, Cote d'Or, um, <laughs> Pinots. There, there, there's some weird, but, but wait, wait, there, there, there's some weird stuff going on there, and we'll have to talk about this. I, I got the whole lowdown because to raise the price up. The I, <laughs> we'll have to ask a lot of questions, uh, um, yeah. but it'll be it'll be fun to uh, to talk to him about that storied history. And he may not even know anything about it. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Subscribe, review, go to Paradigm. Thank you.